Welcome to I Put Real Estates Shaping Our City podcast, where we discuss topical issues affecting real estate, the built environment and the vitality of cities. I'm joined on this episode by IPUT CEO Niall Gaffney and Ben Rogers, the Director of the European Cities Programme at the London School of Economics and a Bloomberg Distinguished Fellow in Government Innovation. You're both very welcome. Over recent episodes in this podcast, we've spoken about a myriad of issues affecting cities and we're delighted that you can join us, Ben. Firstly, can you tell us and our listeners a little bit about the European Cities Programme and the fascinating work that you're involved in? Well, thank you so much for having me, Mary. I'm really pleased to be here. I'm really pleased to be in Dublin. It's not a city I know, but I'm really you know, relishing the opportunity to sort of walk around and, and take it all in. Um, yeah, so this is a program that we set up at LSE Cities two years ago with support from Bloomberg, and it is focused on the researching and supporting Europe cities. To our surprise, you know, we seem to be the first and sort of only sort of major uh, university centre focused on on Europe city, so we think we're filling a, filling a gap. And we believe in research at the LSE, but we certainly want to go beyond research to really working with Europe's city leaders and helping address their challenges. And I might say a bit more about that uh, l- later on. But it's about sort of research, it's about convening, and it's about capacity building. So I suppose European cities and those leading them face huge challenges. What would you say are the biggest challenges at the moment? And do cities differ from one another in terms of the challenges they're facing? Yeah, I mean, you know, Europe cities have a sort of very distinctive profile. I mean, they're just different in character from, you know, cities in in the US or Asia or elsewhere. And what makes them distinctive is, first of all, just their sort of longevity, their sort of deep historical roots. A lot of them have these old, you know, historic street patterns, sort of rich public realm, quite strong traditions of sort of self, self-government. self And they've had a, in lots of ways, they look really well positioned to sort of face the challenges of the future. They're, 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 they're dense, they're compact, all the things that we sort of believe in. And they've sort of, a lot of them have really sort of flourished in the sort of post-industrial sort of knowledge, service, creative economies that we face. And some of them actually are, are you know, probably a, a bit like Dublin are struggling with their success. I mean, lots, lots of the problems that they have come with problems of success, you know, the hollowing out of centres due to sort of tourism, you know, just the, the pressures on housing and, and, and workspace. So there's a sort of that, there, there are those sort of, and I guess that's a sort of core set of cities in particularly in sort of, you know, Western Europe. And then around the edges in Eastern Europe, in my own country, in, in Britain, parts of Southern Europe, you've still got cities which are haven't quite made the transition from the sort of industrial to the sort of service knowledge economy, and their populations are shrinking, um, and they are, you know, they're, they're, they're still struggling with a sort of, what to us feel like sort of problems perhaps of a previous generation. They, you know, Europe cities have really developed a sort of strong networks over the last sort of few decades, um, and they've increasingly developed a sort of really, I think, helpful relationship with the EU, which, which began after all, the EU began as it was all about supporting agriculture. In the last 20 or 30 years, it's taken on a much more sort of urban focus because it recognises that cities are really important to Europe's economy and really important to its sustainability. So there so, so, so there we are. And I think just to, to say, I think, I think, you know, the two sort of classes of problems I think Europe cities face is one, for all the talk about how important cities are, for all the talk about empowering cities, they haven't got more power. 
and they haven't got more resources. So they're having to sort of struggle with with quite limited powers and resources. But I think the other thing is there's actually a huge amount to do around just skilling up city leaders, city governments, um, so that they can address the challenges that they that they have. I mean, that's interesting about the the great cities or the cities that have endured across Europe, and we would hope Dublin is one of them. And what we've seen since, I suppose, the great shocks that have happened since 2008 between the GFC and then the, 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 the COVID epidemic, you know, a lot of the cities that have bounced back quickest have been probably the more longest established cities, the more historic cities, which is a remarkable fact. But they've, they've come back, they've come through the dark ages through plagues and different things, which is, is, is quite telling. I think that thing about resilience that you talk about, and we're interested here in, in Dublin about that, what makes mm-hmm. great places, what makes great cities. And I think that, that thing about resilience it does come back to probably some of the f- basic things about a neighbourhood mm-hmm. and having the ability to retain that interesting streetscape, that historic streetscape. Um, I heard you speak recently and you mentioned about, you know, some of these new environments, whether that be, in Dublin's case, say the Docklands, and in your case, Canary Wharf in London, if you could plonk the historic streetscape, the Georgian streetscape of Dublin into some of those Docklands areas or Mayfair into into Canary Wharf, you probably would have a better city. so a lot of that comes down to that whole human yeah. streetscape, doesn't it? It does. I mean, I think you know Jane Jacobs has still got a lot to teach us, even though sure. she wrote her book more than fifty years ago, "The uh, Death and Life of Great American Cities." And it is about the, the streetscape. It is about having a sort of you know things that attract people into a neighbourhood. I mean, I think it's about also having buildings which can be adapted to lots of different mm. uses over time, um, and which is going to be sort of you know increasingly important as we try to limit our carbon emissions and create sort of carbon neutral developments. We don't want to be knocking them down all the time. And it's about that sort of, you know, getting that sort of unexpected and sort of crazy mix of, of yeah. uses in, in close proximity, uh, I think is really important. And, you know, and I think people sort of increasingly just want to be, people have, I mean, it's slow, but people really are getting the benefits of living close to where they work mm. and with a sort of rich mix of activities. And that's the way the sort of market and presumably that's something that has really come to the fore post-COVID because we want people coming back yeah. into cities. So yeah. it's probably getting more focused than it well, might have got before it's, that. I mean, it's, yeah, cities will have to sort of up their game, I think. I mean, the way I think about the sort of whole rise of remote working, which was, was happening anyway, and COVID just gave it a sort of huge, huge sort of shift, is that there's lots to embrace in this. I mean, cities are all about the efficient use of space. And that's what they are really. They're, you know, they're, they're machines for, for, for maximizing spatial proximity and efficiency. And if you're an herbalist, you think there is something really inefficient about people coming to the office from their suburbs five days a week to do quite a lot of routine work, which they could do at home. But there's also huge costs and not coming in at all. Mm. Um, and I think those costs are not always sort of born in the short term by the individual. I mean, in, in the short term, and we've all got an interest in sort of staying at home and say, saving a bit of money on the commute and getting the work done. But in the long term, we will all suffer from that um, because we'll, we won't, you know, we won't generate ideas. Mm. Young people won't learn from won't learn from their seniors. And it's a sort of public good that comes from people coming together. And with all public goods, actually, you need, you know, you can't rely just on individual choice. You have to encourage or force people to do things. And I think there's a role for city government, definitely. I mean, I, I talk about sort of moving up the value chain of cities, you know, cities that are just going to have to be less routine and a bit more interesting. And that's partly about the way you plan them and the way that you 
the sort of services you provide and the rest of it. There's also a role, obviously, for for developers, which you know, which is just making places that people really want to come to. Mm. I think that whole idea of the basic human interest in socialization. Yeah, and, and people talk about sustainability. It's a real buzz at the moment. Everything's about sustainability. I, I think this thing about like if a building is socially sustainable, like you talk about adaptable. Yeah. So you, this idea of turning the ground floor plane of all these buildings inside out, having amenities that are open to the public and to occupiers of buildings, and then making the buildings adaptable, yeah, amenity rich buildings, all of that good stuff. You know, the, the human side of life, such as you know, stimulating people through public arts, being able to go to the theatre, being able to go to shopping in the immediate vicinity of where you, where you hang out green spaces, all that stimulation yeah. leads to that socialization that great urban places can can give people. And we're, we're trying to build that into what we're doing, but it's that joined up collaboration that you see in, in some cities that have elected mayors like London, but the, the often quoted Copenhagen, where they, with Gail and people like that have pioneered pedestrianization. And we were in, in Copenhagen recently at a conference and you could see the fact that three quarters of people either use public transport or cycle into the workplace, into the city daily. You know, that's taken a lot of work to do that, yeah. to make that happen. Yeah, that's the work of generations, isn't it, really? Yeah. But, you know, sort of s- s- small steps mm. and you sort of get to a tipping point suddenly as well. You know, so you, yeah. have, that, you have to hold your nerve when you're doing because at first it can be quite unpopular. Mm. And then you sort of, you build up the constituency of people who want to sort of support it. But, but is it from populations of people who are quite demanding? So, you know, the elite of right. London or Copenhagen or New York who say, right, we want better cities. We want these things because there's a lot of cities and in Dublin we find whether it's the, the, the lack of joined up thinking is how it's described but is it actually do people want these things they know what they want I mean I think there's a sort of often a sort of silent majority or at least a, a silent very large minority who have a real interest in you know the people who use public transport people who worry about the mm. safety of their kids and, and, and want safe streets um, and we don't always hear from those and we, mm. you know, we hear from often from a sort of advocates of sort of car-based development who are very, very vocal mm. um, and definitely have, have, have support. So I think, you know, I think we have to listen to the, the, sort of the quiet ones as well and not just the ones who scream yeah. Yeah. loudest. Uh, I mean, we're in the middle of all this in, in London where there's a lot of controversy around ULEs, but across Europe, I'd say in the last three or four years, as city governments have tried to restrict car use, you know, it, it's become a really sort of vocal, mm. pivotal issue. And, and I think, it, and that, you know, it definitely is sort of swinging some elections in, you know, in, in, in what for me is the sort of wrong way, or at least the sort of pro-car way across European cities. Um, Can I just ask, in relation to public realm, obviously it's something that's, uh, you know, very pertinent to IPUT and we're, we, we passionately believe in it. But as you look at different cities, what cities are doing public realm really well? I'm trying to think of examples which aren't the <laughs> which aren't the which aren't the obvious ones, but Barcelona. And I know again, Barcelona's now got a new government, new, new mayor, and they're going in a slightly different direction, but but not very different. I mean, I think Barcelona is probably still the place that really inspires me. Um, what they're doing with their sort of super blocks, I think, is sort of very very radical. And as I say, I think there's been a bit of reaction against it, but but most of what the former mayor uh, uh, was going to do, they're going to they're keep doing. So, you know, that's been, that's been wonderful. And is that led by the private sector or public sector? Or is it a collaboration? I think that's it? mainly working with the historic, the historic neighbourhoods. And so it's, 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 it's public sector. I mean, you know, King's Cross is, 
in London has been a sort of brilliant de development. We did some work looking at that not long ago. This was when I was at Centre for London, the London Think Tank, which I used to run and work surveying local people about what they thought of King's Cross as a public space. And for those that know King's Cross or perhaps don't, it looks like a sort of very affluent space and it is, but it's surrounded by some quite poor mm. neighborhoods. Yeah. And we were really impressed to find that the parents of these neighborhoods really were using the public space a lot. And I mean, I thought they would feel perhaps a bit unwelcome. It was a bit too gentrified for them. They just loved that great big water feature mm. in, in the Gran center, Granary Square, Granary Square yeah, in the center yeah. of it. And they, you know, and it felt, it felt safe, it felt mm. welcoming. Um, I was you know, really, really pleased to, to But what anchors that. that scheme is the St. Martin's College, isn't yeah. it? I mean, that went in first by design or by default. Yeah. We, we could argue, but there's the canal, there's the square. There's yeah, the, having, that, these anchors, all those, having these anchors, yeah. I think non-commercial yeah. anchors who are often there for the long term. And the amenities really, that yeah. human beings like to gravitate towards. Because we, we worked with Townsend, um, the landscape yeah. designers of King's Cross. We brought them into um, a project in Wilton Park for that very reason that we were saying that the main selling point of our project in Wilton Park is the park right. and the canal. Right. And if we put in anything, it's deck chairs, it's it's the um, the water feature. Yeah. And it's to draw that interest from human beings seven days a week, not just during the working week. Yeah. Um, and I think th that style of creating places is something that's hard to do. And I don't know if it happens by design or by default, but King's Cross is one that uh, certainly st stands out for us as one that we visited. It's how you build on how you build that into policy. Yeah. With, yeah. Obviously, they had a very proactive or understanding local council in that instance who got on board with the project. Yeah. I mean, you know, policy is the big the big challenge. But I mean, it's not just it's not just. I mean, is it policy or is it is it know how and skills? I yeah. guess you know, and you know, and sort of and, and culture, and that's the big one. And you know, in 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 Britain, which I know well, you know, we've really sort of hollowed out our sort of planning. And urban design departments in in the local authorities, and I, you know it's it's a disaster. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, for a, for, a, for a country that really needs to build, and where every party says it wants to build, I know this is it's such a short sighted thing to be doing, you know. And I don't know, I don't know how it is here, but I just think it would make so much sense to invest more in in building up the sort of the the skills of these places, because you know the outcomes you get when people are empowered and skilled, uh, mm. you know, just. So, so beneficial. That's a to big everyone. challenge, isn't it, Maria? It's exactly having, the same yeah. issue for us. And you mentioned mayors there, and I'm just wondering because it's a very topical issue in an Irish context. How important do you think having a directly elected mayor is, and, and does that make a difference in cities? I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of directly elected mayors, just really on the basis of our own experience in 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 the UK. You know, where traditionally, I think. I don't know how it works here. Do you have a, do you have a tradition of no? It's the same as this. You have the sort of British system. So you know we we don't have a history of directly elected mayors. It's something that Tony Blair really imported from from the US and to some degree from from, from Europe. Obviously, first of all, in the case of the mayor for London, but latterly with the um, with the metro, metro mayors and also actually some directly elected borough mayors in London. And I think you know they've they've been popular. Uh, I was sort of cite. The creation of the mayor of London is particular as a sort of really pretty unusual example of a thoroughly successful public <laughs> policy in innovation. Um, I think about 
a bit less than two thirds of Londoners voted for a mayor, but only five um, percent say they want to get rid of get rid of the mayoralty now, which is which is pretty on good. First name terms. <laughs> so we all know them by their first Indeed, names. Indeed, isn't that yeah. interesting? I always point that out. You know, we 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 call our first we call our mayors by their first names, and I think I mean one of the reasons I think that they are good is because central government, even if they don't like their politics, have a sort of sense of, the, of their legitimacy and that they're going to be there and. And they, you know, when there's something about us that we sort of identify and can do business with a, a person in the way that we can't with a sort of bureaucracy. I remember Andrew Adonis, who was um, education secretary under Tony Blair, saying to me, he knew the names of the mayors and he had their numbers in his phone. You know, and that wasn't the true of the sort of indirectly elected ones, because there was always a sense, well, he, he or she's the leader now, but will they be the leader next week? Mm. You know. There's this can-do attitude with me. I think yeah. that American, like Mike Bloomberg, obviously was mayor yeah. of New York, and you know he 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 did a lot of good things. Like he post nine eleven, the way he, yeah. I suppose, brought New York back and had had very strong mission statement about making that city yeah, great yeah. again. It's, I mean, uh, it's not it's not a it's not going to shave everything. But I, I want to ask you a question now, which is how are you when we talk about sort of flexibility and mix? I mean, how how are you? thinking about those things and how are you sort of catering to them? I mean, are you building, increasingly building buildings which can be used for lots of different purposes over time or you're still building more single-use developments? Well, I think it's, again, we're working within a, a streetscape that is existing already and working within a planning framework that exists. And within that, we try to make our buildings more adaptable. Right. Um, but we do try to activate the ground floor plane wherever we can, right. incorporate food and beverage into the offering, incorporate amenity spaces where we can, free free public art where we can, right. um, just stimulate the human senses at the ground floor level in particular. Um, you're right about commercial real estate where once you lease a building, the upper floors are the tenant's property um, or the occupier's property. But certainly where we can influence things at street level, Right. That's where we see a great opportunity to to see our buildings as part of a neighbourhood, and that has a social responsibility. Where the footprint of a of a commercial development within a neighbourhood, what is the impact of that? And to try and think that through from a human perspective on local community, on users, on passers-by, on the weekend. So in, in our own way, where we can introduce that activation, we will. It's difficult to do because it's, it's like that policy issue. And we can voluntarily do these things because right. we believe in them. Right. And the idea that this stimulates and improves the value of our holding is why we do it. Yeah. But is there a broad policy across the city right. to do it? No. Right. So we could end up being a, kind of a leader or an outlier where we're voluntarily <laughs> giving up commercial space at street level. But we do see the value in it. And we talked before we, we we met today about the great estates in London or other cities around the world. And I think what those investors and owners do that have a long-term approach is they can think that way. They can think long-term and bring some of that uh, free space into the conversation. Yeah. 
But, um, and, and are you building developments with housing or was most of your work? It's all it's commercial, all commercial. Um, which, is a, which is a challenge because we, we're aware of that. I mean, our city, like a lot of cities in Europe, is struggling with the lack of provision of affordable housing, particularly in the city centre. Yeah. And that mixed-use element that makes cities living cities is, is so important. But where we can, we will try to facilitate it, facilitate alternative community uses. But I do think planning policy needs to reflect that greater living in cities is, is what we need in Dublin. Yeah, okay. I just had a, a final question for you about the branding of cities. So Niall and I and, and a few of our colleagues were at Expo, the big real estate conference there a few weeks ago and noticed that lots of cities have stands at exhibitions like this and are promoting themselves and London for the first time had a stand do you think that Dublin and Cork and Limerick and the Irish cities should be creating their own brands and marketing themselves at events like this? I mean, I, I'm, sh I'm sure they should, you know, but a brand should be much more than, you know, a logo and um, a strap line. I mean, it's got to, it's got to come from deep within and really you know, reflect your values and, uh, and ambitions. And, you know, I feel that the way to sell your city and, and, the, and the thing that should be reflected in your brand is, you know, is that, I mean, sell your city as an you know, exciting, vibrant, you know, mixed use place. It's not about, you know, it's not about being sort of slick or catering to one particular sort of group or, 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 or interested, you know, the, the, the cities that do well are the cities that people really want to live in and want to raise kids in and want to do that forever because they're sort of vital, safe, you know, stimulating places. That's what you kind of capture in your brand. Thanks very much. I think that's a good place to, to wrap up. Um, thank you for joining us on the latest episode of iPuts Shaping Our City podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and will join us for future episodes where we'll continue the conversation on topical issues affecting real estate, the built environment and the vitality of cities. Thank you.